It's Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the doomsday clock has ticked down even closer to midnight. But how useful of a mechanism is it? Plus, some good news on climate change and a new Wordle spinoff for the Zillow Obsessed. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Today, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists updated the Doomsday Clock. We are now officially 90 seconds to midnight, the closest we have ever been to the apocalypse in the history of the Doomsday Clock. But what does that really mean, and should we even continue updating the Doomsday Clock? The Doomsday Clock was started in 1947, as the illustrated cover of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists magazine, designed and conceptualized by artist Marta Langsdorff. The Bulletin organization itself was founded by a number of scientists, including Langsdorff's physicist husband, Alexander Langsdorff, as well as Albert Einstein and J. Robert Oppenheimer, who respectively established and served as the first chair for the organization's board of sponsors. The organization was founded following the atomic bombings on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in order to help grapple with the consequences of the nightmarish creation of the atomic bomb. When the clock debuted in 1947, it was set at 7 minutes to midnight, indicating that the clock was ticking for us to get nuclear weapons under control or else risk all-out apocalypse at midnight. The amount of seven minutes didn't directly correspond to any sort of probability or calculation. According to the lore on the Bulletin's website, Martel, the artist, just thought seven looked about right. Two years later, the clock went down to three minutes. It then went up and down throughout the 50s and 60s, reflecting various events and successful or failed agreements, and then progressed steadily downwards from 12 minutes in 1972 to three minutes in 1984. But then we hit on some optimistic growth for several years, leading to the biggest chunk of time left on the clock in the Doomsday Clock's history in 1991, following the end of the Cold War and the signing of the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. But after that, the clock began ticking again. As a statement from the Bulletin put it in 1995, quote, In December 1991, to memorialize the death of the East-West nuclear arms race and the apparent birth of democracy in Russia, the hand was moved off its 15-minute scale and set at 17 minutes to its farthest point ever. That represented eye-popping optimism, given that one of the aims of the bulletin, in the words of founding editor Eugene Rabinovich, was to frighten men into rationality. Unfortunately, world leaders did not take full advantage of the opportunities. There has been no new world order, to revive a phrase that already seems antiquated, end quote. There was a brief increase in time in 2010, citing global cooperation in reducing nuclear arsenals, securing nuclear bomb-making materials, and pledging to limit greenhouse gas emissions, but other than that, it has been downhill since 1991. A pattern that probably resonates quite a bit for all of us millennials. 
Born into unprecedented optimism, watching it slowly chip away before being torn apart dramatically at the turn of the century, a brief return to some kind of hope after the Great Recession, and then downhill again with an extreme velocity in recent years. Which brings us back to today's update, 90 Seconds to Midnight. The clock had been set at 100 seconds to midnight since 2020. Notably, it was set before the onset of the pandemic. Yet the onset and continuing fallout from COVID-19 didn't tick the doomsday clock down anymore for the next three years. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, who decides on the time, didn't see reason to move the clock further down until this year. Their reasons? Worsening factors around biological threats, climate change, disinformation, and, most of all, and amplifying the risk of each of the aforementioned, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Quoting the bulletin's statement on their decision, Russia's war on Ukraine has raised profound questions about how states interact, eroding norms of international conduct that underpin successful responses to a variety of global risks. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has increased the risk of nuclear weapons use, raised the specter of biological and chemical weapons use, hamstrung the world's response to climate change, and hampered international efforts to deal with other global concerns. The invasion and annexation of Ukrainian territory have also violated international norms in ways that may embolden others to take actions that challenge previous understandings and threaten stability. End quote. You can go to their statement to read more on their reasoning, as well as go more in-depth on each point, like how the world is, by their measure, woefully inadequate when it comes to predicting, preventing, and responding to outbreaks of disease. But right now, I want to dig a little deeper into how useful the Doomsday Clock actually is. Matt Reynolds wrote an excellent piece on this for Wired, noting how nuclear war and climate change are two very different global threats, and trying to measure them on one scale together maybe does us a disservice. So first, one thing to note is that for decades, the doomsday clock was only in reference to our threat of annihilation from nuclear war. It wasn't until 2007 that the bulletin's board added climate change and any other human-made threats. In their words, quote, The doomsday clock is a design that warns the public about how close we are to destroying our world with dangerous technologies of our own making. It's a metaphor, a reminder of the perils we must address if we are to survive on the planet. End quote. But even as a metaphor, how useful is it to gather all of those dangerous technologies of our own making into one? Quoting Reynolds in Wired, Counting down to midnight is an intuitive way to think about nuclear war. Either the world is at nuclear war or it's not. There's nuance here. A tactical nuclear weapon, for example, is not the same as a full-scale nuclear war. But at a very broad level, nuclear war, as the original bulletin scientists thought of it, was a fairly binary state of affairs. Climate change is much more nuanced. Most scientists agree that there's no clear cliff edge of disaster when it comes to climate warming. Instead, there is a slow ratcheting of global catastrophes, as well as an increased likelihood of climate tipping points, where certain climate systems alter suddenly and irreversibly. End quote. Reynolds brings up the work of existential risk researcher Luke Kemp, who notes that a much warmer world is less resilient to other kinds of catastrophic risks. 
We certainly saw these compounding catastrophes in various extreme weather events earlier on in the pandemic, when communities had to figure out how to balance providing care and rebuilding with not spreading COVID-19, or how to treat people with severe cases of it in the midst of a completely leveled town. And personally, I think the doomsday clock, at least in its metaphoric capacity, accounts for that multiplier effect. This year's statement tied every individual risk back to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how that event is destabilizing everything else. But another point Reynolds brings up is, how far are we going to keep this going? Quoting again, there's only so many times you can move the minute hand closer to midnight. Adding more increments would increase the doomsday clock's nuance, but setting the clock at 99.4 seconds to midnight doesn't exactly have the punch that its original designers were aiming for, end quote. The lack of a real calculable reason for when it was originally set at or how much time they deduct or add back on for global changes makes it a bit tougher to take seriously. And Reynolds says a downside of the clock metaphor overall is that it makes us concentrate too much on the here and now. Although Oxford physicist and Bulletin board member Raymond Pierre Humbert, who spoke to Reynolds for the article, says the clock is meant to be an assessment on the fundamental state of risks that could take decades to play out, not necessarily an indication of our risk of nuclear war for this year. And I see the point about the nuance and complexity and long-term future thinking that the clock maybe doesn't imply for everyone at first glance. But I also think we do need to think about the here and now in some ways. We need to take action now. We need to be aware of the clock ticking away, of time running out to take more significant action. But maybe we do need something more specific. Maybe something like the climate clock. In initiative with installments around the world, the Climate Clock's first big display was here in New York City. The famous Metronome Art Project in Union Square, with its confusing digital clock-like string of changing numbers to its left, was first installed in 2000. And though a lot of people didn't know it, its mysterious string of numbers without spaces or punctuation actually displayed the current time in military time from the hour down to tenths of a second. And then going in reverse from right to left, it displayed the time that was remaining in each day. But especially with it occasionally changing for special events and straight up showing the wrong numbers for most of 2010 and 2011, a lot of people didn't pick up on that explanation and provided other guesses for its meaning, like tracking the world's population or the acres of rainforest destroyed. But then starting in 2020, those guesses came closer to fruition when the clock ditched its original concept and instead became the first major climate clock installation. Like other climate clocks around the world, it shows the time we have remaining to take action and stay under 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. As of today, it is at 6 years and 178 days. So maybe a clock like that, with a more specific purpose, not just one topic like climate change, but one specific goal, staying under 1.5 degrees Celsius warming, maybe that is a bit more useful than the now catch-all doomsday clock. Although even that one is just one big fancy reminder, either inspiring doom or righteous motivation depending on your perspective. And ultimately, Reynolds concludes, quote, the doomsday clock remains a powerful reminder that self-inflicted disaster is never far away, 
but it also undercuts the complexity of climate change and the way that risks spread across time and bleed into one another. Viewed from a time when we face a multitude of possible catastrophes, pandemics, rogue AI, and a rapidly warming planet, the doomsday clock is a warning from a much simpler era. End quote. That may be. I think it works as a stunt. I also think that regardless of how it may impact our thinking about the present and future, it is pretty fascinating to look back on in retrospect. When you look back at the timeline of when the clock lost time or got time added back over the course of the last 76 years, it is absolutely reflective of trends and events in global politics. So maybe it's not the most tangibly useful thing, but it is definitely fascinating as an indicator. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. So in the last segment, I mentioned the climate clock, and in particular, its giant installation in New York City's Union Square. One thing I didn't mention is that in 2021, it got another update. Instead of just counting down the time we have to act to limit global warming to a 1.5 degrees Celsius increase, the clock also shows how much of the world's energy is being supplied by renewable sources. It's a small number and moving slowly, but it is increasing. And the designers of the project thought it would be nice to inject a bit of hope into the clock. And likewise, I want to bring some hope to this episode after a long segment about Doomsday. Seemingly right on cue for the update to the Doomsday Clock, Casey Crownhart at the MIT Technology Review published a few reasons we can be cautiously optimistic about progress on the climate crisis. One of them is, as the clock in Union Square reflects, renewable resources are making up a growing fraction of the energy supply and getting cheaper all the time. This is leading to a changing trend. Whereas greenhouse gas emissions have historically increased as a nation saw economic growth, this doesn't look to be the case going forward. Quoting Crownheart in the Tech Review, In the future, progress on emissions won't necessarily require sacrificing economic gains. As renewable energy is more widely deployed and technical improvements drive efficiency, economic growth may be possible without a proportional rise in climate pollution. Some nations have already begun to cut emissions while maintaining economic growth. Globally, the carbon intensity of economic growth is dropping over time, meaning the carbon emissions associated with the same level of economic activity have decreased, end quote. And another spot of good news is that while emissions are still rising globally, several independent countries have begun to plateau or decrease emissions. Quoting again, U.S. emissions peaked in 2005 and have declined by just over 10% since then. Russia, Japan, and the European Union have also seen emissions plateau. Global emissions are expected to reach their peak in about 2025, according to the International Energy Agency. Reaching maximum annual emissions is a significant milestone, the first step in turning the metaphoric ship around for greenhouse gases. End quote. Now, it's not all exactly good news. Emissions in some nations are still rising. 
China's has been particularly stark. In the same period of time that the U.S. went from 6.02 gigatons of annual emissions from fossil fuels down to 5.01 from the year 2000 to now, China went from 3.6 gigatons to 11.47. The U.S. went down roughly one gigaton, and China went up by about eight. Now that said, quoting again, China's government has pledged that the country will reach its emissions peak by 2030 and achieve net zero emissions before 2060. The peak could come even sooner, in 2025 or before, according to analysis by Carbon Brief. The nation is deploying renewables at record speed, roughly quadrupling installations over the past decade. End quote. It's nice to be reminded that there is some good news and some progress being made when it comes to the climate crisis, but Crownheart warns that nations still aren't doing enough fast enough to reach international climate goals. Well, all right, just one sort of fun thing to round out in this bit of a bummer episode. There is yet another Wordle-inspired game on the block. This one shows you photos of a real estate listing and gives you six chances to guess within 5% of the asking price. Similar to other offshoots like Hurdle, where you guess a song, with each wrong guess, you get a new clue. And in this case, you get more photos, the home's location, and other details from the listing. It's called Housel, and it was created by producer Doug Weitzbuck, inspired by his time working on Netflix's reality series, By My House. Especially if you're the type of person who spends their free time swiping houses you could never afford on Zillow instead of potential dates on Bumble, Housel will be right up your alley. But that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.